Sean, it's a pleasure to have you uh, on on this particular interview, which is part of our, our series, which we call The Big Picture, where we have candid conversations with our investors and especially our entrepreneurs. Uh, so in that context, I, I really wanted to showcase you and, and Iron Pillar wanted to showcase you as, as somebody who's been successful across so many domains. It sort of makes my head spin sometimes. So with, with that as, as sort of a preamble, one of the things I'd love to start with is, is talk about your journey to founding Fresh to Home. I mean, you came from a very different background from, from Zynga, uh, from gaming to fish. Uh, it's not a natural transition perhaps, but uh, take, us, uh, take us through that journey and, and, and what compelled you to, uh, to co-found this with your co-founder, Matthew. Uh, it's been uh, a terrific experience, and you know, uh, from the what I used to do earlier, which was to create games like Farmville, it's certainly very different to sell fish online. It's a, I mean, we did have a game uh, where there was fishing, but this is quite different from that. Uh, I started my career in the Valley in '99 you know, with Support.com. Uh, this was a young company, and I was among the handful of the early employees. Mark Mark Pinkus had founded it. And then we went public uh, around in the early to, uh, 2000 timeframes and I you know, I learned the ropes uh, across multiple areas before I used to head the enterprise vertical for them. And then after that, I uh, again in the Valley, uh, a bunch of other gigs, uh, and then uh, I founded a cybersecurity company. And then uh, in 2009, I joined Mark uh, because back again in Zynga uh, as one of the uh, early members in the Zynga team. I was the general manager and Uber CEO for a number of games, uh, and I managed the India center as well. So India was one of the largest studios in Zynga, and we created some of the biggest titles uh, in Zynga. Uh, back to how we came to uh, fishing, or fish eating, as I might say. Uh, you know, When I was uh, running Zynga in India, I used to buy fish from an online company called Seed to Home. Uh, this was an uh, early stage venture started by my current co-founder, Matthew. Uh, you know, being a foodie, I used to buy regularly from his site. Right? And this was probably one of the first e-grocery ventures of its kind. But at the same time, Matthew was uh, a visionary and a domain expert, but not really, didn't have all the sort of uh, background on an e-commerce or an e-grocery scenario. And, and you know, the going was tough in the early 2013 timeframes. And uh, you know, when he shut down, you know, a number of things, uh, you know, triggered uh, in me. One, you know, I found that uh, I couldn't get to fish. As a foodie, right. uh, not getting your fish is obviously a big part of it. But also the part that really, uh, you know, triggered the thought of starting fresh to home was that here he was, we've got an extremely large market, right? A market that is about $90 billion in market size. And there was no competition. There's literally very little organized play in this market segment. Right? So uh, a bunch of us co-founders, uh, you know, my ex Zynga team and Matthew uh, joined hands, and that's how we launched uh, Fresh to Home, and uh, it became extremely successful. And we are currently doing about a million orders uh, per month, and that's you know probably a big insight into how a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Know, probably went on to selling fish in India. Well, you know, I remember when I when I first moved to India back in 07, I used to tell entrepreneurs, you know, you're not thinking big enough, remarkable. And so so to do that kind of volume is just remarkable. And so 
pivoting, I guess, to this particular year, maybe when COVID first hit, for example, just take take me through, you know, what were the challenges that uh, that you experienced and 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 perhaps continue to experience to a certain extent, and how were you able to overcome those? Yeah, I mean, uh, the medical emergency aspect of COVID aside, I mean, this is probably one of the greatest, uh, you know, economic downturns that we've ever witnessed, right? Mm. But as an entrepreneur, I tend to look at the bright side of things, right? You know, never waste a great crisis. Uh, so I think from yeah. that perspective, uh, you know, uh, this is also a great time or a great opportunity, particularly in certain categories and certain areas, if you, you know, start thinking that way. And uh, obviously, you, uh, you know, categories like online education, uh, medicine, telemedicine, and you know, our category in particular, uh, e-grocery has had tremendous sales. But it is obviously not a smooth sailing. There's been you know, a tremendous amount of challenges. You know, I'll give you a fun fact. Uh, you know, when we started the the whole COVID news started hitting in February, our chicken sales went down drastically because there was a rumor that you know. Uh, Chicken was, the poultry was one of the key ways in which COVID would get uh, transmitted. And it, was, it was a rumor. I mean, people would have, uh, you know, uh, mistook it for avian flu or some other aspect of it. And the entire chicken prices crashed uh, in the Indian market. You know, what would be at the, I don't know, 140, 150 rupees per kilo went down to 20 rupees a kilo. And then farmers literally started culling their chicken stock. And then, you know, it took a while and I was just trying to explain the challenges in sort of consumer education was a key challenge for us, right? You know, trying to let consumers know that, uh, you know, what uh, we deliver in an organized channel in a much, you know, following all the safety protocols, that was a key aspect uh, and it was a key opportunity as well as a challenge. It was a initial challenge. Then we figured out that the best way to address that challenge is first to showcase the safety aspects of what we do with uh, COVID, you know, we had to really heighten up the way in which we operated our business, right from, uh, you know, doing internal safety, where, you know, the, the protocols were so severe that even if you had to let a new staff, onboard a new staff, they had to be housed in a quarantine center. But at the same time, that message had to be very simply because consumers won't understand that complexity, right? So we crafted that into saying contactless delivery. And I'm sure now it's become a buzzword, but when we did it, it was among the first of its kind. And the contactless delivery aspect, you know, pretty much communicated what we're trying to do in a nutshell. And that led to a huge uh, growth in our uh, sales. So uh, safety, uh, communication were the two critical aspects of it. And then implementing protocols around that. Third part about it was building redundancy. And uh, we have not been completely successful, but we are still dealing with uh, building that kind of a redundancy because redundancy is also expensive, right? But the most important learning and probably the key message that I think uh, entrepreneurs or other founders may want to take out of this is about communication. Because, you know, while it's a difficult time for us as a company, it's even more difficult for our employees. Right. So that's really the biggest learning. Communication was the key element in sort of overcoming many of these challenges. Obviously, you have you know scaled the business remarkably well, and really since since Iron Pillar invested about a year and a half ago, it's been it's been remarkable. Uh, especially keeping in mind the current pandemic, right? What are some of the systems and processes? You talked about redundancy a little bit, but are there other um, pieces of the puzzle that you've been able to put in place to be able to scale, uh, you know, without much of a hiccup? Yeah, I mean, in particular, uh, you know, our business is 
you know, quite seasonal in the case of, you know, for example, fish, right? because certain fish varieties don't come all the time. So uh, what we've done uh, to handle this in particular this season is because many of the harbors were getting uh, shut down because COVID you know, initially affected particularly the areas where there was a huge gathering of people. And then harbors are, each of the harbors are about 6,000 people or so, right? So many of the harbors were shut down. So what we did was really, uh, you know, we've got this unique way of sourcing fish through our commodities exchange platform, which is like a virtual auction platform. And so we just increased the number of people who are auctioning with us. We went to new harbors, even though, you know, we didn't probably were not able to satisfy all those auction uh, calls from the uh, sellers. You know, we went to a number of harbors. We built those kind of redundancies. This is, again, in the theme of redundancies, but, you know, this is not probably, this is going overboard, right? And then we also did uh, multiple levels of, uh, you know, for example, the case of chicken. Uh, we went back and, you know, we were doing vertical integration to a small percentage of our, our supply chain that we were doing it. But now then we ended up and ended up using much more larger pool of farmers to actually do it. We also then went on and amped up the farming element of what we did because in the COVID scenario, marine fish was more effective because it was so traded, right? So there was traded in large harbors and they were typically the ones that were the most effective. And then instead, we started focusing more on the freshwater fish, the carps and so on, which were essentially captive farming uh, among the sort of you know contract farmers and entrepreneurs that we worked with. So those were some of the measures. And then the organization had already scaled enough that each Geo or a city was uh, a separate company of its own with its own CEO and uh, its own decision making. So we were reasonably decentralized for a company at our current stage of maturity. So that helped uh, in scaling the process as well. Fantastic. Now, I mean, one of the, the most amazing achievements, um, you know, obviously the, the scaling of a business being being the, the, the biggest one, but you have recently closed, um, you know, fairly significant uh, financing. And so talk to, talk to me, and, and, and I'm sure there are entrepreneurs who are listening to this saying, you know, how in the world was Sean able to do that in this environment where there are no physical meetings happening, everything is being done remotely? What was the, what's the secret to, uh, to, to getting that kind of momentum going and being able to close, you know, sizable, sizable financing? In general, fundraising is really hard. and Fundraising is even harder to do when you can't really, you know, have coffee or shake hands and so on so uh i don't know if there's any any particular tips and tricks uh, except that you know first the fundamentals were strong the units economics became even more stronger so the story was really really uh coming out well we hit ebitda profitable uh in uh you know many of our mature cities so that sort of showcased that we were not just talking about contribution margins but at an ebitda level so the fundamentals of business were really strong and then uh, the business was growing really fast, right? So we've had, you know, we literally felt like we were on a rocket ship and building it and pro- probably, you know, fixing the motor as after the rocket ship has launched. So it's been uh, a big, big ride that way. Uh, in uh, some of the cases, uh, you know, the biggest uh, obstacle was due diligence, right? Because investors had to actually visit and there was nothing, there was no real substitute for a physical visit given the operations of our scale. So uh, we got a little, uh, you know, uh, fancy uh, uh, in, with one investor. We actually did a uh, live video streaming. So they had the fishermen in the various different cores and the farmers in video calls. So we had actually a Zoom call and then we had like various different harbors of ours being showcased live. And then that went in uh, quite a bit. But in general, I think 
fundraising is not a one time thing right? i think uh, it's always a, a conversation that takes not just the first or second time when you're trying to close it's just a, a longer term uh, momentum building right? and then finally hitting another park when you really need the uh, the dotted line and i think the the other thing i would add is i just came up with this acronym i call it faas which could be either fish as a service or food as a service <laughs> because i remember uh, looking at your cohorts I mean, what's really remarkable to me is you have, uh, you know, on the on the demand side of the equation, you've turned this into a habit, and and a habit not in a negative sense at all. A habit because the customer knows that he or she is getting, you know, fresh produce that's chemical and preservative free, and 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 in a manner of, uh, you know, a day to two days uh, from from, you know, farm or or shore to table. Uh, which is just a remarkable value proposition, right? There's no reason, and as long as you price it competitively, there's no reason for that uh, that audience to uh, to churn, and and that's precisely, you know, what uh, what you have delivered. So so congrats on that. Thanks, MJ. Thank you for your kind words. Absolutely, and with that, we we come to to an end of this uh, incredible session. Thank you, Sean for taking the time. Congrats on all the success and the financing and the, and, and the scale and the unit economics and, and Iron Pillar is gonna be there uh, through thick and thin. So, so looking forward to, to working closely with you. Thank you again. Thanks guys, thanks for the partnership.